Well, on this Mother's Day, we're talking about love. <laughs> it's no surprise because we are in the book of First John, and First John uh, writes in sort of a cyclical fashion. He keeps coming back to the same themes over and over again, and a primary theme for First John is love. But the aspect of love that we're looking at today is one that very... Uh, is very appropriate to look at on Mother's Day because we're looking at the self-giving nature of love and the need to pull one's heart off of oneself in order to care for others. And indeed, uh, that is exemplified beautifully uh, by motherhood. What we find here in this passage from 1 John is that love is a reorientation of focus from self to others. And we find the danger of self-focus. We look first, uh, as John guides us, to the story of Cain and Abel, the story from Genesis chapter 3. And, or chapter 4, excuse me, and it begins in, chapter, in verse 2 with this. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God gave Cain a choice. God did not uh, reject Cain outright. He rejected the sacrifice, and he said to him, If you just do what I ask, it will be accepted. Don't let yourself get all caught up in the sinful desire to do what you think is right. But listen, Cain, to my voice, I am God. And God was willing and ready and desired to extend grace and acceptance to Cain. But Cain wanted to determine himself what should be acceptable and what was right. And this focus on himself, this focus on what he desired, led him then to be jealous of his brother to the point that, in the very next verse, after God cautions him that sin is waiting at the door, be careful, he said, God said, sin is waiting to capture you. But Cain didn't listen. The very next sentence, we find that Cain took Abel to a field and killed him. It's interesting. The sacrifice is not seen as sinful, but just not accepted. The sin comes as a response to the sacrifice not being accepted, and he had a choice. Would he choose to do as God asked him, or would he choose self-determination, and self-focus, which ended up being very costly. 
We find the same problem with all the many petty jealousies in our lives, the murderous attitudes. And before we say, well, I don't want to kill anyone, hear now the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You fool? That doesn't seem so bad. But the point is that to, to set ourselves up as more important, more valuable than other people, and to demean them, to put them down, is indicative of a murderous attitude. It says that we think we are more important than they are, and that is in exact opposition to the heart of God. God's heart focuses outward. God created everything as an, as an expression of giving, of pouring out God's self into the universe. God sent Jesus who willingly came into this, onto this earth and lived as an expression of giving up his authority, giving up his power, giving up his um, role in glory to reach out to us, to reach out to the needy. God's heart is always moving outward. And the heart that focuses inward is a heart that is in opposition to the heart of God. Scott Hazy says it this way, Love always overflows and expands outward to include others. Love reaches out to others not to snuff their distinctiveness, but to embrace them for who they are. But hatred seeks to conquer, to eliminate differences, until only a single master race of like individuals is all that remains. Hate seeks to eliminate the other so that the self can be all in all. Hate, John writes, makes you like Cain the murderer. Hate seeks to isolate itself for the sake of nursing of your own ego. And if necessary, hate will kill off others if that is what will create a private world in which you not only keep looking out for good old number one, but in which looking out for number one is the main event. Pretty uh, strongly stated, and we might say, Well, I don't hate like that, I don't have a murderous heart. But if there are attitudes within you that say, uh, uh, Those people aren't like me, and I'm better, if you seek to, along with the rest of the society around us, exalt yourself to look out for number one, to keep up with the Joneses, or really to surpass them, right? To see yourself as more valuable than others, to seek the satisfaction of your own heart at the expense of caring for others, then your heart is in opposition to the heart of God. And it makes sense, does it not, in a culture that um, is 
moving farther and farther away from a faith from faith in God that we would become more and more self-focused because if you don't have God then you are listening to the voice of the enemy who calls you to uh, seek yourself to do um, what you want to set yourself up as God but we as believers are called to be different. And I don't want to paint a broad brush picture of society as horrible. I think there are some um, movements within society right now, particularly among younger people that are much more outwardly focused than my, my generation was taught to be. So that's a good thing. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing to, to see that there are... Um, New, new understanding that the self is not the be-all and end-all. But it's vital for Christians to live in harmony with the heart of God. We find in our culture put-downs, pride, privilege, all the isms characterize so much of the common discourse. Even in the church, there is a mentality that has entered into the church probably more now than, than ever before, maybe, uh, but at least it's strong now, a consumer mentality that says, I want the church to be what I want the church to be. And people come in and they, they push their own agendas. They want the church to look how they want it to look. They want the church leaders to decide things the way they want the church leaders to decide things because they want the church to be what they want the church to to be. And if the church doesn't behave properly, they will pack up their bags and move along to the next one and hopefully find one in their mind that reflects them better or really listens to them better. And it's not that we, the church leaders, don't want to hear the voices of uh, the church members. We are called together, and we, we work together to discern the will of God. But we are called to be a family in which different voices are heard, and no one sets themselves up to be the one voice that is always heeded. Redeemed hearts focus outward. They turn from the natural inclination to focus inward, and they focus outward. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters um, says it this way in the, in the voice of Screwtape, the demon. We want to suck in, he said, but God wants to give out. We are empty and seek to be filled. God is full and flows over. And if we reflect the heart of God, we must not be those who seek to pull in, seek to get, to get, to get, to have people do what we want. But we must be people who seek the good of others, redeemed hearts, focus outward. Jesus is our example. Jesus gave up his position of power and authority and glory in heaven and became one of us. And we are to have the same heart in us that was in Christ Jesus, according to Paul in Philippians 2. But this is not easy. It goes against sort of our natural grain because our natural grain says, look out for yourself. But 
our natural grain will lead us into conflict and into um, failing to be truly godly. But to love, once again, to C.S. Lewis, who said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be broken. If you want to be sure to keep it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket. Safe, dark, motionless, airless. It will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the perturbation of love is hell. Love is costly. We need to sacrifice in order to demonstrate love. And um, John says it this way, if you see a brother or sister in need but have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? And the word pity, there is, um, it's really much more a, a decisive thing, uh, choosing not to care. It's shutting down your gut is really the uh, a more accurate translation of the Greek. Uh, of the Greek, you you see a person and you say, oh, "I'm not going to care. I'm not going to help. I'm not going to inconvenience myself for them." But John says, if you do that, where's the love of God? It's not in you, because God's love reaches out. And if we are people who demonstrate God's love, we too will reach out. Jesus reached out to us even when we were sinners. Romans 5.8 While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The arms of God are open, open to all who will come to him. And God in Christ sacrificed while we were still sinners. In other words, our backs were turned. We never said we wanted this gift. We never said we wanted salvation. We never said we wanted relationship with him. But God took the initiative and that's the same way God calls us to be. There may be people that really don't uh, act like they want anything from us. They don't want love. But we are to take the initiative. We are not to wait for someone to come to us, but to reach out to them. There is a family who were members of this church who have adopted children who have troubled pasts. Well, at least... If not adopted, they're in, taking them in as foster children. And this happens all over, but it is, so, it is so beautiful to see people reach out to children who really don't even have the capacity yet to love in return, but to pour love into them and teach them what love is and what love looks like. And that, again, means loving those who don't love you back, at least the way you want them to. Vaughn Roberts, a pastor in Oxford, England, says it this way, when you love people who are like you, that's ordinary. 
When you love people who are unlike you, that's extraordinary. When you love people who dislike you, that's revolutionary. And when we were still sinners means that we disliked God and God still reached out to us and God calls us to reach out with love even to those who dislike us. The remarkable thing about God's love is that it extends to people who aren't even interested in it with the hope that one day they will be. Focusing on God renews our hearts. We find in verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. This last section of this passage is an encouragement for us to put our hope and our trust in God, in what God has done for us. You know, um, self-recrimination, self-hatred, self-loathing, all of these are what? They are focus on self. We might think, well, I'm not proud, so that's good. But self-loathing is as much a focus on self as self-exaltation. The point is not to focus on yourself but to focus on the grace of God and then to receive into yourself that love of God that is, that is there for you. Self-condemnation keeps us from receiving love, keeps us from giving love. And, but God holds his welcoming arms out to you. And let's not be foolish like the person who sits on a branch of a tree and cuts off the very branch on which the person sits. We must not cut ourselves off from God, for he is the source of our life, our comfort, our strength. We must not cut ourselves off from the community of the church to which God has called us, for in so doing, we cut ourselves off from the life of love into which God has called us. Friends, God loves you. Turn to him. Allow his love to fill your heart so that it overflows into the world around you. And we together can demonstrate a kind of love that is not seen anywhere else. 